only purpose for his life could be to serve as a warning to others. It's the Drew Marshall Show. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. I can't see him, but he talks to me. After all these changes that you put me through. What a great movie. Commitments. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. We're live right here in southern Ontario, covering 6 million on Joy 1250. Jen Hatmaker is the author of For the Love, Fighting for Grace in a World of Impossible Standards. In her anticipated new book, For the Love, which I think should be pronounced, oh, For the Love, Austin-based, best-selling author Jen Hatmaker writes about grace like she lives it. Passionately, hilariously, and exceedingly well. Man, I'd like to be able to do that. Through her 11 books, hugely popular blog HGTV hit My Big Family Renovation, and recent pilot Your Big Family Renovation. It's kind of presumptuous. You don't know if my family's fat or not. Speaking at conferences and more, Jen proclaims countercultural truths and wit, wisdom, and an irresponsible love for God and people. And for the love is hilarious but thoughtful, a nourishing break, for, but unflinchingly real. Jen emerges as a firm but gentle encourager, pushing women to laugh, love, and live. And dare I say men as well, probably, but we'll see. I think part of my role in my time and place is to uh, help lead our tribe to be healers instead of herders. That is a killer sentence. So much of the message for the love is this. Let's really give this grace thing a try. The website is jenhatmaker.com. We're giving away a copy of For the Love on our Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HarperCollins Canada Faith Books. So you can either go to our Facebook page, The Drew Marshall Show. You can go to our website, drewmarshall.ca, and listen to us right now. Which doesn't make sense because you're on the radio listening, so I don't know why. You can go to Jen Hatmaker, or I could just shut up and we could talk to her right now. Jen Hatmaker, how are you? Uh, thanks for having me. So good. You don't know that yet. You have no idea what you're getting into. <laughs> that's true. I really don't. Let's just ask me at the end. Ask okay. The end. I'll, I'll say, so how was it? No, that's weird. Um, <laughs> so, so who are you? Like... I know it's a it's no it's like a cheesy generic y I didn't do my research question but I I would like to know who who are you like if if I was to be amongst um a bunch of NPR not NPR what's it called national religious NRB if I was to be a bunch of uh-huh. a bunch of NRB people they would say Jen Hatmaker oh yeah she is what oh yeah good good I like to brand my own self um <laughs> so it probably depends on who you ask but I guess in general, maybe the 35,000 foot view is that I am an author and a speaker. I really meant to be an author, but then I also became a speaker. I guess those two things are best friends. They're cousins. And, and I'm a wife. I've got five kids, and my husband and I are church planners. And so we have a church that we love, and we live in Austin, Texas, where we've lived for 16 years. And basically, I'm just a troublemaker, too. So that should be in there. Just trying to be fair to your listeners. That's exactly where I wanted to go. I'm yeah. so glad you opened that okay. door. I feel like we're uh, okay. we're in court now, and you, you've somewhere. opened the door. We can go there now. 
Um, troublemaker. <laughs> troublemaker. Is that a Texas yeah. thing? Because Texas women seem to have a fair bit of testicular fortitude. <laughs> I like you. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I did not realize that um, this was sort of my way until I found myself sort of smack in the middle of leadership in, you know, sort of Christian subculture. Then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait a minute, I've got a sassy mouth. I am, <laughs> I am outside of the bounds of how other people act. Um, and so I really didn't know it. I, I was raised by a pastor and a pastor's wife, but my dad was super rogue. So it wasn't normal. It, you know, we didn't, I didn't grow up like a lot with a lot of the language and all that stuff. And so anyhow, it has come to my attention that as a sort of a Christian leader that I color outside the bounds a little bit. And I'm okay with that. I think I'm, I'm happy about that. And I'm, I think my people are okay with that too, but it does, it does make people uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But have you ever gotten in real trouble? Like, have you ever been kicked off a God television show or been brought in front of the deacons <laughs> or the board? Or, I want to know the stuff, man. Give me the juice. Give me the dirt. Well, <laughs> I have been uninvited. Yes. Um, from conferences before. Yes. And How come? Although, have... why? Can you say why? Or, or will your people get angry that I'm asking this question? Because listen, here's your. This is how I see you. I see you as a cheeky okay. female author that more women need to read. That's how I see you. Thank you. Thank you. That's nice. I appreciate you saying that. And I think. Um, and sorry, sorry to say, female author. That was just. That's not. But you know, you write for women. Is what I'm. Do you not primarily write for women? I primarily write for women. Okay. You're exactly right. And I don't take offense to that at all. Okay. Um, I. I think because I I have such high hopes for the church, I I'm so craving just a faith community in our culture that is good news again that people are drawn to and that are bringing like life and meaning to their communities. And I just see the opposite of that so very often, and it drives me batty. It just it makes me bonkers. And so I think because I I go right into that space pretty directly and often um, in terms of what does it look like to live. Um, well in our communities, to live like Jesus would live, to bring people in instead of push people out. Um, and it just, I think in general, some of the things that I'm willing to set aside um, in order to, to win a hearing again, um, some of the places I'm willing to enter, some of the chairs I'm willing to pull up to the table, just people don't love it. They don't love it. And, it, and it's okay. I, I think I'm just glad to be having the conversation. Um, and so I just sort of leave like that, and I very much have my eye on the, on the outsider, if you will, um, very much. Um, to the person that's not ever going to feel comfortable in a Christian setting or even in a church or in Christian culture or any of that. And so I'm okay to sort of paint outside the lines a little bit in order to love them well. And that's why she's on the show. That's why Jen Hatmaker is on the Drew Marshall show. Okay, Grace, I don't get it. Grace is one of those uh, awkward things that, you know, the bottom line is when I think about Grace, I think about this. Dear baby Jesus, please forgive me for X... And then you do it again. Dear baby Jesus, can you forgive me again for X? And then, dear baby Jesus, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this again. But can you believe And then we go, you know what? This is stupid. I'm going to keep probably yeah. doing X. And asking for forgiveness for X is just stupid. So I'm yeah. not going to ask for forgiveness for X anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a limit to grace. That's my, that's my mm-hmm. first way I want to get into this conversation. Help me with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Um, I- I completely appreciate and identify with the great struggle. I mean, I would say that that's probably been my my adult long struggle is to understand and receive and give grace well. I just, um, I've never been comfortable with my own humanity. Most of us aren't. Um, I just had this idea for the longest time that 
being a believer, especially when it's supposedly mature, when it supposedly is leading or whatever the heck yeah. people think, um, is going to cure me of my humanity. You know, like eventually I'm just going to be above this all. I'm going to, I'm not going to struggle anymore. I'm not going to sin like I used to. I'm going to, I'm going to just have something that, that, you know, puts me up into the stratosphere of holiness. And the fact is that's just not true. That's not even good theology. There's nothing true about that at all. Wait, I mean, so wait, hold on. So, 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 so your last name is not Osteen? Well, now you, <laughs> you probably get in trouble too. You are in trouble. Uh, I can Oh, I'm just kidding. So once, I think once we sort of make a little peace with being human, that I'm sorry, it's a, it's a lifelong condition. I mean, we're going to take this one to the grave. Yeah. Um, I think there's a peace there to be had, but it's really hard to get comfortable with that. And what I notice is, at least for me, and I think this is true probably across the board, is the harder I am on myself, when I really struggle to receive grace, then I really struggle to give it. Um, because hmm. then I have these superhuman expectations on everybody, myself included. And of course, nobody can deliver. Um, and so I think this is bigger than it sounds. Grace is one of those words that sounds a little squishy, right? Like, yep. just, I don't know, like something a bunch of girl authors would write about. Yep, yep. But the fact is, it's actually, it's actually hard, it's really, really hard. And it's really, really gritty. And so um, I do see a high correlation of when we can get this square, when we can live in it well and stand up in grace, understanding that this really doesn't have anything at all to do with behaving, um, then we can give it better. And that's going to change the world. Do you think that we, as human beings, grasp grace the closer we are to death? Mm. That's a really good question. You know what's so interesting? My husband and I were just talking about that very thing um, this morning as we're sort of watching his parents and my parents get older, and we were talking about sort of the softening that we see, you know, with every passing decade. And I think that's just a fact. I think there's this, you know, I travel with this conference called Women of Faith. and um, You travel with Lisa Welchel? Well, she used to be on it. She's not on it this year. I've only been on it this one year. I'm just, I'm running the final leg of the race with these gals. It's the farewell tour. Um, And so I'm primarily with the original speakers who are almost all in their 70s and 80s right now. Right. And I cannot tell you how good it has been for my heart and soul to be around them. And the, the best thing about all of us is Jesus. It's not really anything we've ever done. And they're so comfortable in their own skin, and they have received grace, and they give it out so well. And I just think there is something about growing up um, and growing older and finally realizing that all this hustle and all this striving is getting us exactly nowhere. I think the way I contrast this uh, conversation in regards to uh, being closer to death and therefore grasping grace a little better is the difference between Billy and Franklin. Mm, that's good. That's a great um, comparison. And honestly, if I were even going to make it more personal and, and on, a, on a smaller level, it would be the difference between me now and me 10 years ago. Um, 10 years ago, I would have slapped myself across the face. Um, I, I just, every year that I live, I get more comfortable with grace, not just for myself, but for other people. And I'm really starting to suspect that God actually is after this whole world. I'm starting to, to suspect that he loves people more than we think. No. Um, no. And that, his, that grace is pretty audacious, no. actually. It's going to be just, embarrassing. That's just wrong. Uh, what, I can't remember who uh, who talked about this, but they uh, they the way they see heaven is... Uh, is uh, you know, God's walking around trying to find Jesus. I don't know why, because he's God and he should be able to know where he is. But, uh, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden he finds him and Jesus is at the back wall of heaven sneaking people like me over. Mm-hmm. 
you know. <laughs> I love that. I'm so going to tell that. Um, I think we're going to be shocked. I really do. I think we'll be super surprised. And, um, you know, we love Grace for ourselves. Um, but for everybody else, it's just a little bit too wobbly. You know, like, come on, Jesus, tighten it up here. Um, but hold on. So are we, look, thing to be human. we are all product of our own society and culture and whatever time, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the world that we're living in, we've grown up in, et cetera. And see, I'm afraid... This is this is my issue. As, my, as liberal as I being, people accuse me of being Joe liberal all the time when it comes to theology. Mm-hmm. And I, heck, I, I you know I confessed a little while ago on air that I'm not even 100 percent sure that there is a God anymore. I've left the camp mm-hmm. of of evangelical certainty. Yeah. Uh, and I'm now a red letter agnostic theist, if that makes any sense to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yes, it actually does. Okay. So, um, yeah. but but the slippery slope stuff. See, that's the thing that I don't know if I, if I just. If I hunker down into that because it was part of my tribal conditioning and it's still leftover remnants sure. of that kind of thinking. But, you know, the degradation of society, you know, we're not getting more yeah. conservative. We're getting more liberal. We're not getting uh, uh, we're not getting better with our morals. We're getting worse with our morals. We're not mm-hmm. you know, there is a there is a law of diminishing returns that, that's happening here. And mm-hmm. I'm part of that subculture. I'm part of that culture. So does it not mm-hmm. make sense then for me to to try to for all of us to rationalize and justify our own personal theology? We we say we don't make God in our own image. Heck, we do. Yeah, heck, mm-hmm. we do. Sure, we do. And and so that's sure and we, that, do. So, I mean, we absolutely do. Yeah. So then take the take grace now and throw that into what I just babbled there in the last uh, forty seconds. Yeah. And and grace is the is the stuff that makes the slippery slope slipperier, I think. Mm. And, and and so mm-hmm. I maybe yeah. I'm not getting it, man, because I don't want to forgive myself too much mm-hmm. because then I might become just a crazy raging liberal Christian kumbaya <laughs> guy or something, right? <laughs> I'm so tickled about that. Um, you know, for me, I think I get, I'm more and more comfortable uh, in the uncertainty with every year that I get older. I'm I'm less and less sure. I mean, t- 15 years ago, I knew everything. You should have just asked me. I should have told you. I was always right. That's a Texas um, woman right there, boy. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm so serious. I mean, I had it down. I, I, I knew the party line. Um, and exposure and experience just shakes that. It really does. I mean, the, my, my experience growing up was very homogenous. And so I had the same sorts of people, the same sorts of thinkers, the same sorts of spiritual traditions around me until I was an adult. And so I just had no diversity at all. So, you know, you get a little bit older and you start to see faith in a lot of different expressions and in a lot of different ways and through a lot of different um, venues. And, um, and I realized, you know, I'm not nearly as right as I thought I was. And so for me, it just... Faith keeps boiling down um, to bare bones, hmm. more and more and more, to the good stuff, the stuff that sticks, the stuff that lasts. And for the love, honestly, I have a whole essay, and I, I sort of crystallized my personal theology when it comes to what's true and what's right, and this whole slippery slope idea, because, um, you know, American evangelicals think we invented Jesus, basically. Um, and so <laughs> I, 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 this is my theology, as I try to interpret Scripture, and I try to think about the world and how God is intersecting it all is this. If it isn't also true for a poor, single Christian mom in Haiti, it's not true. So anything that says God favors us because we're wealthy or or it's not, that's that's bad theology. It's got to be, it's either true everywhere or it's true nowhere. And for me, that's allowed me to cut out a lot of spiritual crap. Um, to just go, oh, no, this is me creating God in my image, um, because this is only true in my context. So if it's only true in my context, it's crap. 
So, you know, when we talk about spiritual heroes, different people say, oh, this you know, Mother Teresa or, or Henry Nowen or Malcolm Muggeridge mm-hmm. or G.K. Chesterton, um, Jimmy Fallon doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really fit in that I category. I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. Well, I'm sorry. I like humor. I uh, humor is a big value to me. I, it always has been. I grew up in a funny family, and I'm a funny dad, and so I used to think that was just a throwaway piece of my personality. Like, oh well, I'll just try to overcome this humor and lead <laughs> to some integrity. But um, I just love it. So Jimmy Fallon, I think, is hysterical. I just watching him rise up through the ranks of late night right now is so fun. But um, you know, have you do you watch it? Have you seen a spanky note segment? And, and no, He's I so have funny. No, I haven't. No. He has this segment called Thank You Notes, and I shamelessly plagiarized it in the book, um, where he does ironic thank yous. And so I wrote a series of thank you notes in the book that are, it's just absurd. Like, this is not where you go for spiritual depth, this, this <laughs> section, you understand? This is like bonus, um, bonus writing. Anyways. <laughs> can you, can you, uh, would you happen to have a thank you note that you could give us, you know, for the rest of the listeners, an example of what we're talking uh, sure. about? Sure. Here's an example. Okay. Uh, thank you, pre-mixed mango margaritas for helping me get through middle school again as a 38-year-old mom. It's the only way. If you have any other friends, send them. See what I'm saying? I mean. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not, I, I have a lot of sides. Have, have you, have you found that having, what did you say, 17 children? How many children do you have again? I, honestly, that's how it feels. I have, I have five. Five children. But last night, for example, we had eight sleeping over. Right. So it's just, there's always extra kids. Right. Does that, does that screw with your sense of humor? Like, does that just make you not <laughs> want to be funny? <laughs> does it make me, like, just dead inside? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that makes me laugh so hard. Well, in some ways, I'll just say that kids are an advantage in my line of work because they provide material. Yeah. I mean, I tell them that sometimes. Like, all you really are to me today is material. So fine, <laughs> just keep it up with your smart mouth. Um, so, I mean, they do give me a lot to say. I do have a lot of stories. But we have funny kids. I, I know the apples did not fall too far from the tree here. I mean, they're all loud and obnoxious. We all have big personalities. And it's yeah. fun to be in this family, honestly. Yeah. They're fun. You know, we have three kids like the ordinary way that you have kids. Like out of your body. Wait, what do you? Uh, well, can you hold on. I don't understand. Can you explain that? I don't understand. <laughs> Here, I just had that talk with my fourth grader. I'll, I'll send you the replay. Okay. Um, but you know, our youngest two are adopted. They're Ethiopian, so they've been with us for four years, and so we're just, we're we're colorful, literally. Um, and it really is. It's just a it's an adventure. This family of ours. Okay, so let's let's end this interview or come to the end of this interview uh, almost with okay. the sort of typical generic interview question that they'll say. Um, and I, by the way, I hate it when people say this. And now I'm doing this to you. So, why did you write this book? Uh, who who is this book written uh-huh. for? You know that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And, and I, no, uh, I appreciate that question. No, come on, that's a lazy question. It is. Well, okay, maybe it's lazy, but there's always an answer, right? If there's no answer, then somebody should stop writing. True story. Okay. All right. So let me ask the question. You ready? Okay, yeah, I'm ready. <clears throat> Jen Hatmaker, uh, tell us, why did you write this book? Uh, you know, who is this book written for? <laughs> oh, it's just so lovely. Thank so you. hostish. Hostishish. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I really, I know a lot of people have a reader base as sort of a means to an end. But for me, my reader base is the end. That is who I write for and why. And we've really created over the years 
primarily online and then just through the last few books, just a community that is really something. I mean, it is really something else. And I tend to attract um, sort of ne'er-do-wells, if you will. And, I'm sorry, what? Um, rogue <laughs> ne'er-do-wells. Is that a Southern word? Like, you know, ne'er-do-wells, N-E, apostrophe E-R. I'm looking, I'm looking at my Canadian intern, Alex. The inter- Do you know what she's talking about? Yes. Have you ever heard that word? No. What are you talking about? I do well. I don't know. I have southern colloquialisms that I forget that don't translate to Canada. Okay. Okay. In other words, I tend to attract rogue people, um, the kind of outliers. Oh, you mean auto, you mean yeah. autodidactic iconoclasts? <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm never going to get this question answered. Um, get to the point, will you? Come on. I love the people that I write for, and they're 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 asking hard questions, and they're willing to sit in a lot of tension and struggle spiritually. And I think they love well, and they uh, they love big, and so I, I care for them so much, and I really wrote for them. I I wrote to give um, Christian women another idea of what this whole thing could look like. Um, you know, what does it look like to be? somebody with a cussing mouth who loves wine. You know, I want you to know that that person can love God. I do. Uh, what does it look like to ask hard questions but still stay in the fold somehow? That is what I do. And and so um, I just really want to show that there's a lot of ways to know and love God. And it doesn't always look like the bullseye of evangelicalism. I mean, it, it can look it has so many threads, and the boundaries are bigger than we thought. And so this book is full of humor. Obviously, I write a lot of funny stuff. But I ask a lot of hard questions, and I push us to do better and to love better and to stop being so crappy with the world and to be kinder and braver. And, and so anyway, I, like, what I hope is that it's relief. I did not want to write a book where somebody closes that last page and they're like, well, now I have a list of things to do. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of that. My thing is I tell readers, you're already awesome. You're already amazing. You are amazing how you are and where you are, the way you're made on purpose. You know, the way, the place that you're placed is purposeful. Your life has meaning. You're braver than you think. That's me. So I'm the one cheer, cheering people on as they are. Um, not trying to fix them into some um, form, some preset form that makes everybody else feel comfortable. In the end, our children are fed and dressed. Our husbands haven't left us. Our house hasn't caught fire. And no one's world has ended because the laundry isn't done. So give yourself a break. Yeah. You know, there's one person I could not read that to. That's Marie Osmond. Her husband left her. Her chi- One of her children <laughs> set her house on mm-hmm. fire, burned her house down. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Yeah, you have to use that, that paragraph sparingly, yeah. apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. And it's not too late for us, too. We have five kids. Somebody could still burn so, Somebody could still burn it's, something it's still down. time on the clock. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Clock. Okay. Uh, I just <laughs> thought of something else I want to ask. If you're the cheeky person I think you are, which you are, and we've discovered this quite nicely, um, you got to get some people that write you because they don't like you. What kind oh, yeah. of what kind yeah, of pushback yeah. do you get? Do you get people saying like the mm-hmm. fine the fine Bereans out there who say, well, now in 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 First Marshallonians it says, you know mm-hmm. that you know you got to hunker down in the word and you got to mm-hmm. and you have to change. You've got to grow and you got to obey. And mm-hmm. you know if you really you know there's scripture that says if you love you obey. And so what do you do with that? Like mm-hmm. what do you do with those people? Because right now you're sounding cool and uh, people don't like cool in the Jesus scene because mm-hmm. you know some might accuse you of, well, you're just placating. You're just being cool to sell books. Yeah, yeah I get that. Um, I get a lot of um, pushback, and I get a lot of criticism, and um, it was hard at first. And so uh, two things. First of all, I work really hard to make sure that I am not separating, separating out um, 
criticism that I need to hear. Um, because just because it hurts doesn't always mean it's not true. Good. Sometimes it's true. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, I don't, I almost just said a curse word on your show, and I'm so sorry. Um, I, I am, I make mistakes, and I say things wrong sometimes, and I, so I'm not, a, I'm not above criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, di- there's a type of criticism that I just simply reject. I just resist it, and um, I'm not a writer or a thinker or a leader for all people. I'm just not. And so um, I, have a, I have an element of my personality that is simply able to say, I'm not going to receive that, and I'm not going to change for it, and I'm not going to kowtow to it. I'm simply just going to not respond here. And so um, that's okay. I, I'll always have people who don't like me. I will always have people who think I'm leading poorly and then my, they don't like my theology and they don't like this grace. Grace makes people so uncomfortable. I mean, you think preaching about sin makes people mad? I'm preach about grace. Now yeah. they're furious. Yeah. Um, and so I have just, I have people around me who help me separate the wheat from the chaff. Like, okay, Jen, this one actually needs to be heard. This one, you actually acted bad. You actually made a mistake here and you need to make it right. And this one, no, bye, Felicia, delete. When you say, um, when you say so you have people around you that point out your faults, are we talking uh, your husband? Mm-hmm. Yeah, husband, yeah. my team. I've got okay. a really strong staff. I've got people who love me and I, and I trust them and respect them. Um, and I trust their their discernment, and they have full permission at all times to speak into my life. Wow, wow. Well, I'm now a fan, and uh, I know that means you'll be able to you'll be able to sleep tonight now, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jen Hatmaker is her name. JenHatmaker.com. The book is for the love fighting for grace in a world of impossible standards. We're giving away a copy of For the Love on our Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HarperCollins Canada Faith Books. So uh, go there and see if maybe you could win the the book. Uh, thank you, Jen. So good to chat with you. Really, thank you. You too. Let's do it again sometime. Okay. Talk to you again. Thanks for having Bye. me on. Talk Bye-bye. to you soon. All right. Short break. That was good. I enjoyed that. Who do you love? Who do you love? Sir Ken Robinson is up next. He is basically a human hand grenade to standardize testing in our current educational systems. His video is the most watched TED Talk. If you don't know what TED Talks are, you are about to be blown away by some... This might be the smartest guy we've ever had in our show. Ever. Broadcasting before and probably after the rapture. It's the Drew Marshall Show. While climbing the world-famous Lower Weeping Wall in Banff National Park, Peter Panagor succumbed to extreme exhaustion and hypothermia and died. As the sun set on what was supposed to be a one-day climb, Peter was revived only minutes later, convinced that heaven is beautiful. Imagine a mix of heaven is for real and a twist of into thin air, and you'll have heaven is beautiful, a true account of the struggle between the fullness of heaven and what draws us back to earth. As much a wilderness thriller as a spiritual memoir, heaven is beautiful is both an adventure on earth and in heaven, but ultimately it's a journey of hope. 